Welcome back to Other People's Lives. Welcome back, everyone. Yes. Uh, just a quick reminder of our Patreon. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash OPL show for some extra content and access to our Discord, where sometimes uh, we have our guests come in and kind of answer any questions that you may have. I'd say a lot of the times. Like, yeah, it's, it's been blowing up lately. We have fun conversations where, yeah, you guys got to interact with guests. We've got... Uh, bonus episodes for you guys to listen to on there so you know the the support goes a long way so we we really appreciate it i don't think we say it enough but it's a, a nice nice community forming on on patreon so we would love to have you and and you get bonus content yeah so definitely go check that out um today we do have a very uh interesting episode uh, an interesting perspective we're talking to a someone who was like a first responder on uh 9-11 in new york city yes and it's going to be interesting to hear from because i've never really heard from that i've heard stories of people my father used to be a fireman um he was retired in 98 so he wasn't down there in 2001 when this happened uh but he knew a lot of people that were a lot of them passed away and i've never heard from the lips of a person who was actually there about their experience so this will be you know a first for me yeah same same here i mean we've we've seen so much footage over time and uh i mean i remember watching it on tv the day it happened but you know have have never really heard from firsthand someone you know who was there uh yeah. but you know we're we're both from new york <clears throat> Uh, at the time that this happened, I guess I was a little bit older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on Long Island, not not too far from the city. Uh, you were in Queens, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's it's funny looking back now. I mean, was that what eight eighteen years ago now? Yeah, it was a very long time ago, man. To be honest, there there's people listening to the show right now who were not alive during nine eleven. Yeah, that that, is- that learned about this in textbooks at school it's wild to think about but it's also not that crazy because i feel like i mean i was in fourth grade when it happened and i remember that day like very vividly like everything and i didn't even know what the world trade center was because i was like too young i was like what is that i have no idea um but it was a very scary day man like even when you got home you were still afraid like it really felt like nowhere's safe but especially because i was young because i didn't really know what's going on i didn't even know if my dad was there i like I was like, oh, my God, all these firemen are there. All these people are dying. Like, I don't know where my dad is. Yeah, and I know people that I was in school with had parents that work there. I'm sure you knew people whose parents yeah. worked there. And, yeah, I think just being in New York and being so close, um, there's definitely, you know, a, a fear surrounding it. Um, but also being young, just that that unknown, like letting your imagination play tricks. I, I didn't know what it was either. I thought it was like a sports arena. I was yeah. like, what, what team plays at the World Trade Center? Yeah. I'm not sure of that. Uh, and then, you know, it obviously became clearer what it was. I was in, I'm going to show my age a little bit here. I was in seventh grade. Nice. Science class, but it's. Wow. I was in science class when I found out what was happening. Whoa. And like, so this is kind of like, I mean, it's not a funny day, but it was kind of like funny looking back on it now. Like I was in fourth grade and kids were getting called out of class the entire time. Um, it was happening and obviously we don't know what's going on. I mean, there's no TVs in, in classrooms mm-hmm. back then. You would have to wheel the thing in. And even then, I don't think there was like cable. But uh, then like kids were getting called out. So we just found it funny because we we're like, well, how are all these kids getting called out? Like for no reason. So we didn't even put two and two together. Like 
we could see the teachers like kind of scrambling, but we didn't know what was going on. And then I remember I was in a science class and a teacher picked up the phone and then hung it up and was like, you know, Ryan, you got to like this kid, Ryan was like, yo, you got to go downstairs. Your mom's here to pick you up. And that had been like the fourth time that happened, like within 10 minutes. So we were laughing and he flipped on us and was like, there's people dying out there and you guys are laughing in here. Wow. And that was the first time that I realized, oh fuck, something's going wrong. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. looking back on it, it was kind of funny. Cause it's like, Jesus dude, fourth graders, like, you know, like take it easy. But yeah, I, you know, it was, it was just that kind of a hectic moment where everyone was just didn't know how to react and, and, and was scared, you know? Yeah. I mean, being in yeah seventh grade, I guess a, a little more mature, a little more awareness than fourth grade you, but it really was like looking back now as an adult, it's, it's crazy how much you realize, you know, how being alive for that event, you know, really shapes your worldview and, um, you know, just affects you over time. And like, for me, I think that was really the first time in my life. I, I don't know if I had really lost any family members at that point. Like it was kind of the first time I think I experienced tragedy and, mm -hmm. and was able to see how people are able to come together during tragedy. And yeah. I think about that a lot, like being in middle school, you think of middle school and it's clicks and popularity so important. And it's almost like a weird silver lining I have from that day. I just remember like for the first time in my life, like it was kind of like that nice gift wrapping of life was like ripped off mm -hmm. and you realize that there are things bigger than you. And yeah. it was like, you know, it, it was really life changing in the sense that like, I think with this group of people that was so different and I, I definitely came from a diverse area and it was the first time you're like, wow, we're all human. There's, there's things bigger than us and we're really in this together. And you know, it's, it's a really life-changing moment. And, you know, I think there's a positive aspect to that. Um, but I think at the same time, and I'm sure you can relate, I think there was, there was a dark time after that too, where I think it also opened our eyes to things like prejudice, like xenophobia, um, you know, fear of other people's religions. And that's a big part of it too, where there's a lot of discrimination. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's the same for you. Maybe you were a little younger, but I just feel like it it was just at such an early age it kind of forced you to learn to, about a bunch of stuff yeah and to and to really like stop and think like as a seventh grader like what like what type of person you know do do i want to be because mm -hmm. there's like there's bigger things happening in the world than the mundane bullshit in middle school right now and that's it's a crazy life lesson i think at a young age yeah i i i do remember i actually just had this conversation about 9 11 like literally today uh how unified New York felt after mm -hmm. that. Like immediately after it felt like you'd walk down the street and everyone was just kind of like smiling at each other and like nodding and like on the same team about shit where in a, in a, in a place where like that all sounds normal in the rest of the country where people say hi to each other. Like people don't do that around here, man. Everyone has their head down. Mm -hmm. They got somewhere to be, but that was the, that, I remember there being a time where it just felt like everyone was just like, you know, whatever. But there was that darkness as well that came like afterwards, but it was like immediately after where it was like, yo, we all need to like, really, yeah, like, just like an unspoken camaraderie yeah. in, in a city with which, like you said, like you, you don't pay attention to strangers. Like yeah. everyone's in your way, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's uh it's crazy to think back on. I know for me, the last story I'll share, uh, I will never forget that day. I'm not trying to sad in the mood too much. Talk about a day of tragedy. I had a dog at that time, like a family dog. 
I think she was young, like maybe four or five years old at the time, had her for a few years. I came home from school that day and my parents had put the dog down because she had cancer that morning. So wow. I came home. I'm not looking for pity or anything. It's just like when I, what I was saying before, like a day no, that really experience. like, yeah, shows you, you know, that there's tragedy in the world and, and makes you grow up a little bit. Um, yeah, came man. home from that. My dog, my childhood dog was now no longer with us, just sitting on the couch, just watching these scenes, trying to wrap my head around terrorism and just destruction of that magnitude for the first time in my life. You just, you don't forget something like that. Yeah, man. Uh, and I mean, just to reiterate what you were saying before, where it's like a lot of life experience at a young age, like this doesn't sound like a huge deal, but I was in fourth grade and the next morning, like my dad was calling all the firehouses and finding out that like all these people that he was like great friends with have died now or they're missing, uh, which most of the time just meant they were dead. Uh, and that was the first time I saw my dad like bawling, crying like a child, you know? And like as a fourth grader, it's like your dad's your hero. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, this is the strong superhero guy. And it's like, look at how defeated this man is. And then it's, it's like you try so hard to understand like how crazy that is and now you know just to bring it all back to this episode i mean the people that went down there mm -hmm. i can only imagine like this is our experience and we're we're just we were young children who weren't down there now to 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 talk about someone who's a hero and who's brave to put your like life on the line and go down there because make no mistake it was dangerous down there it was ground zero for a reason like it was dangerous to go down there there was a lot of uh, asbestos in the air and there was shit falling and like whatever and people were there for days weeks just like, I think yeah, well yeah I'm yeah. saying like like not sleeping for days yeah. and just helping and digging and you know cleaning up it's like these people and, and this person that we're, we're about to speak to uh, I could not be more like honored to talk to someone like this because I feel like I'm a New Yorker through and through and that was such a big like moment in our lives like usually me and Greg don't do intros this long but it, that's just like you know, being from New York, it just like it, it, it hits a certain way because no one forgets that day. And there's, you know, there's a reason why the hashtags never forget. Like you can't forget. Mm -hmm. And it just it means a lot. And I'm glad we're going to be able to speak to, to this dude and, and, and figure out like, you know, what his perspective was like that day, you know? Yeah, man. Well said. And it's just, you know, it goes without saying, but just, you know, for someone in that position, the level of bravery, the commitment to the job, you know, facing your own fear destruction possible death like it just takes a special kind of sp of person and like you said it's going to be an honor to talk to this guy and there's certain people out there who you know they they don't put themselves first and uh you know it just it, it, it almost comforts me knowing that people like that are out there like the responders the people who um you know respond to any any type of tragedy um it's you know it's, it's amazing it's a different kind of person before uh, we give them a call, let's get to our first sponsor for today, which is Honey. Honey is a free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes whenever you shop online. Uh, this means you always get the best deals, even without trying, on over 20,000 sites such as Amazon, eBay, Expedia, Target, Best Buy, whatever. Uh, you just go on the site, it'll pop up, and you're like, oh, look, I just saved 15% or I saved whatever amount of money or percentage you know literally it's like that easy it's like a friend telling you like hey before you check out on that here's a promo code for you yeah. know some money off 
Um, it's amazing. The holidays are coming up. You know you're about to be dropping some money yeah. to make people happy. So you might as well get these uh, these discounts through Honey uh, right on your browser. For me, um, I I use Honey all the time now. Uh, hopefully this doesn't spoil a gift for someone, but I was looking at uh, AirPods to get someone. Honey literally told me I was about to get Apple Care on it, and Honey popped up at checkout and told me that uh, it's included. The warranty is included with the credit card that I have on file. So I just saved like $130 for Apple Care because I got it through my credit card. And Honey told me that. Wow. Um, big into boxing now. My goal is to beat up Joe. <laughs> went to buy boxing shoes the other day. Boom, promo, $20 off. Went from 100 bucks to $80. Um, like I, I love Honey. I swear by it. Uh, Honey has found it's over 10 million members, over a billion dollars in savings. Uh, it supports over 20,000 stores online. It has over 100,000 plus five-star reviews on the Google, the Google Chrome store. So this is the real deal. Yeah, and if you're buying gifts this holiday season, then you need honey. If not, uh, then you probably know someone who is. So do them a solid and tell them about honey. Uh, honey can uh, make sure that you're getting the best price for whatever you're buying. It's free to use and installs in just two clicks. Uh, get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash OPL. That's joinhoney.com slash OPL. Hey, how's it going? You got Greg and Joe. Hey, Greg. Joe, how is everything? Uh, we're doing good. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Uh, no problem at all. Cool. So we like to get right into it. So... First question, uh, obviously you were a responder on 9-11, so we're curious uh, where you were stationed and when you arrived on the scene. And when you did arrive on the scene, uh, you know what, what was it like at that time and what, what were your responsibilities when you got there? Um, I was a Malvern fireman, which borders the Bronx. And after the first tower came down, um, we had a mandatory physical fitness, um, um, we had mandatory PT every morning. So we used to have to go down Memorial field and walk around a track. And when we just got back in about, I don't know, it was about 20 after nine in the morning. And this call came in at about nine fifty, and it was on the payphone. And I, I answered the payphone, and, um, it was a woman on the other end and she was asking for her husband who worked the night before his name was Austin Dixon. And I said, ma'am, he's not here. He worked last night. And she says, can you do me a favor? And I says, yeah. She says, can you tell him that I'm in the World Trade Center on the 88th floor and the plane just flew through the building and I'm on my way out? And I said, excuse me? And she repeated it again. And I said, what kind of joke is this? And she says, this is not a joke at all. So one of my coworkers turned the TV on and there it was on TV. Um... After the second tower went down is when New York City reached out to mutual aid since Mount Vernon borders the Bronx. My orders were to help New York City with search and rescue. So when you arrived on the scene, the two main towers were down already and Tower 7 was still standing? That is correct. What was that like when you first arrived? I mean, what, what are you pulling up to? Because even taking that phone call, I mean... To, to even hear the words a plane has crashed into you know one of the tallest building in new york city like you i i would have a hard time imagining that in my mind 
Um, what did you expect to see and, and what did you see when you did arrive? Um, well, I could tell you, I've never been in the armed forces and I've never been to war, but I know what it looks like. Um, and as the day went on and, you know, the night set in, it, it, it was actually quite creepy because I'd never seen New York City brought down to its knees. I mean, with the amount of dust, I mean, it was just piles of cars that were on fire. There was just trash around. There was debris. There was every possible thing you could think of that you were walking through. Um, honestly, it was almost like a Batman movie, like it was Gotham City. So It was, um, it was pretty horrifying, to be honest with you. So they have you doing uh, search and rescue. So how did you exactly go about uh, go about that? Were you guys just using your hands or you had some tools or you were you climbing on top of debris and moving things out of the way? Like how, how are you executing the search, search and rescue? Um, a lot of it was done with, with shovels, with hands, um, with buckets. There was, there was bucket lines and whether you scooped up rubble with buckets, a shovel, however you got it in and that rubble got passed to the, to the guy in the end of the line and got dumped. Basically you were digging the debris around all the steel I-beams that were just laid on top of each other. You were lucky to find a, a, a number, a keypad on a phone, maybe maybe one one number. Um, it, it, was, it, it, was, it, it was a scene that gets burned into your brain um, mentally that every year when it comes back, it's like reliving it over and over and over again. And with the search and rescue, you're obviously looking for, you know, people. Um, were, did you find any, and, and did you find any survivors? Um, no, no survivors, but did find body parts. And th those parts were taken off to, um, if I remember correctly, they went to the American Express building, which was set up as a temporary morgue at the time where, you know, they were they, they were being held for further DNA to identify the bodies. Um but no, no, no full bodies intact. No, no living people. Yeah, I um, I actually work right down by the World Trade Center, uh, where we have our offices, and it's crazy to see like some of the remnants. I know, like, there's a Burger King down there that was used, um, as like a medical station. There's like a, a deli that I've been into, and you see they still have like all the signs, like just kind of the hand painted signs that say you know, medics here where it, it seems like the area around it was just turned into, a, I guess, a base of sorts just to, you know, get people help or like you just said to, you know, identify bodies. Um, so it just seems like that whole area was just, you know, transformed completely. I was com completely transformed. And I, I think one night I was standing on the middle of, of um, West Street and you couldn't even tell where you were standing on, on this pile of rubble. Um, that's how big it was. It actually turned corners as, as those buildings came down. Um, it, it was almost like a tsunami of steel and concrete that came down and just basically turned corners. And it was, um, it, it's, it's something that sticks with you forever. And no matter where I go, if I'm on vacation, and somebody finds out I was a fireman in the state of New York, they assume you were a New York City fireman. And I guess outside of the state of New York, if you tell somebody you're from New York, I guess automatically they, they assume it's the city. But 
I right. was a city of Mount Vernon fireman. I wasn't a New York City fireman. So how how long were you actually down there, uh, you know, that day? And, you know, I'm assuming, you know, you, you went back for multiple days. So how long were you down there the original day? And then how long did you spend down there helping? Oh, the, the, the original initial trip down, I was down there for approximately um, almost two weeks um, wow. before I was brought back. And where were you staying? Like, where were you sleeping at the time? Um, any corridor, any hallway, any crack, any crevice you could find. Um, it was probably the first and only time in my lifetime that I've seen unity come together in this world. Um, people just came together. Um, you know, there was nothing, there was no black, there was no white, there was no immigration, there was no nothing except everybody wanted to lend a hand and help. And it's, it's, it's something that sticks in my mind, um, as if it was yesterday. Now, uh, I'm always curious, obviously you're, you know, you, you go through such rigorous training um, you know, just even being a firefighter, does that training help you prepare for something like this? Like when you see death and destruction on this level, something that, you know, you kind of can't prepare for when you show up to the scene, are you, does muscle memory kick in? Is it, does the training just allow you to just see this as a job that you have to do? Um, and if so, you know, are you, is it even circulating in your mind that your life is at risk, that this could have long-term health risks, that you could die just being there, um, just being by that debris, by the fires? Um, you know, how, just how do you, do you even consider that your life is at risk? Um, or do you, is that not even a thought because you're just rushing to action to, to complete the job? Well, I, I could tell you, any anybody that's a fireman that walks into a fire and says that they don't have some fear, um, there's probably something wrong with you. You, you. you have to have fear, but you have to face your fears. Um, but as time goes on on the job, you, you, you'll learn that, um, you'll learn how to face your fears and you'll learn how to get past them. But it, um, it's, it's not something that you could mentally prepare yourself for because every time that bell goes off, it's not the same scenario. Um, a fire is science, and it can't be taught out of a textbook. So no two fires are going to be the same. So it's it's something where, you know, your adrenaline builds. You have to put fear in the back of your mind because you have to be cautious. But at the same time, you do your job. And I think it's the adrenaline that takes over for that point in time. But getting back to a 9-11 situation, I don't think anybody could ever prepare themselves for anything of of that catastrophic. Yeah. Um, so uh, before I was asking, like, how, how long were you actually working down there? Was it just the two weeks or, you, or how long were you down there helping? I was down there for just the two weeks. And when I was brought back, I was I was debriefed. Um, that was that was part of being down there. You had to get debriefed by the uh, the briefing team, and then uh, I was allowed my time off. I returned back to my tour of duty, um, and then there was a second round asking for volunteers of who wanted to go, and I decided at that point that I would I 
most likely seen enough and I'm going to sit out. What were you feeling at that time? What, what made you make that decision? I mean, I, I could imagine that there's some, uh, lasting effects, especially two weeks, um, being in what's essentially a war zone. Uh, you know, what, what was going through your mind and what made you realize that, you know, you, you wanted to sit out that second time and you kind of, you know, had enough at, at that point. As, as days went on and you worked endlessly, um, as many, you know, 18, 20 hours a day, minimal sleep, um, plenty to eat and plenty to drink with the, with the amount of, um, Red Cross and, and food and stuff that came in. But as, as, you know, days turned in, you know, as hours turned into days and days turned into, you know, multiple days that turned into weeks, um, this thought in the back of my mind said, I don't think this is no longer a rescue situation. I believe it's a recovery. Um, after about the two weeks down there, you could start smelling death in the air. It, it had that, that you could just, it, it was almost as if you could taste it and you could smell it. So that was the point where I realized that I don't think it was going to be a recover, a a rescue anymore. I believe it was going to be a recovery. And that's the reason why I sat out. Now we we talked about fear a little bit, um, you know. In in that moment, is is anger fueling you as well? Um, just because you know we're we're both from New York as well, and you know I know we we were much younger, but you know there was also that sense of anger. It was you know you we we took a hit like we're not invincible. We we just got attacked. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, how do you kind of manage? your mindset while you're, you know, looking to rescue and help people as well with, I'm sure, you know, some anger and, and confusion that you feel. Um, it, it, you just have to be able to control that stuff in, in your inner self. Um, I mean, there, there is a sense of anger because, you know, war was brought to our soil and, you know, war is really never brought to the soil of the United States. And who would have thought in a million years that two planes would have flew through the World Trade Centers and brought them both down to the ground, killing 363 firefighters as well as 2,000 civilians. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of anger, and and the the fear part is like I said, it's something that you have to put in the back of your mind. You have to have fear. Um, courage is one thing. It's and there's there's no pill for courage, but you have to have courage at the same time put the sense of fear into you because you just can't walk around numb yeah I, th- I think that's important and i appreciate you saying that and you know i think it takes being vulnerable to say that too and especially i think the way people view a lot of you know first responders firefighters um you know of being you know so tough mentally as well which obviously you are but um you know to just to hear that you know, fear is a part of it. Um, you know, the, it's something I related to. I'm just like, I'm a big fan of like fighting in the UFC. And, um, recently a fighter came out and he was kind of the first time I ever heard a fighter say, you know, I was so scared. I want to fake an injury before I went in there. He still went in and ended up winning the fight, but it was, you know, it was so cool to hear that vulnerability from someone who is just supposed to display toughness all the time. Um, and you know, I think, you know, like you said, like you're kidding yourself if fear isn't a part of going into fearful 
unknown situations that you can't control. If if you don't sense some kind of fear, I, I don't believe you're normal. Yeah. And especially if you're a UFC fighter and you're getting in the ring with just about bare knuckles um, and, and we're going to take each other's heads off. I mean, if fear is not a factor, um, <laughs> there's institutions for people like that. <laughs> um, so I, I had another question because, you know, one of the things that, you know, is still kind of going on is, you know, a lot of people were breathing in a lot of like uh, asbestos out there. So did you, when you get down, when you get down there, like, is everyone wearing masks or are they just, you know, just walking around normal and breathing the stuff in? Cause I mean, there was a lot of reports that came out that people were like having these lasting effects. So is that anything that, uh, you know, you saw down there? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. When you first got down there, there was no masks until, um, probably about the third day when masks came out, but they were limited. If, if you got issued one, you got one. Um, and, and, and all that stuff was donations from like, say Home Depot and Lowe's and these, these big, big stores who donated buckets and, you know, whatever they can, um, shovels and rakes and digging supplies and, and, um, a mask was something that not everybody wanted or not everybody looked for or not everybody thought of because I don't, and especially myself, and I, I might be speaking for others, I don't think anybody thought about the contaminants in the air or what the long-term effect could be or can this affect me at some other point in my life. Um, but about, as about eight, six to eight weeks after 9-11 when I got back, um, I started urinating blood and my kidney shut down. They went to 7% kidney function. And um, the doctor I seen down in the city at um, Columbia Presbyterian, um, I don't remember the urologist's name at, at this particular point in time, but um, he said I was one of several firefighters he's seen that this has happened to. But at the time, there was no studies, nothing linking it to it. Um, there, there wasn't enough facts and information to, to stand behind that. And, and, and even though my kidneys came back to 97%, um, which took about three months, um, it, it was just one side effect that I had. And I know some other guys had, and hopefully their kidneys went back to normal because I know mine did. But at, at that particular point in time, I don't think anybody was thinking, effects or long-term effects and i know a lot of uh firefighters also suffered from i think it's crps rsd it's like the respiratory issues from breathing in so much of the toxins um is that something that affected you at all or uh, am i right in that 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 was a common um you know aftermath of breathing in all of that oh um uh, yeah, what you're talking about is COPD. COPD, um, okay. What does that sound for? Um, chronic obstruction pulmonary disease, I believe it is. Okay. Which was which was COPD slash leather lung, or black lung, I should say. Um, that's what a lot of firefighters and a lot of the friends that I had that were down there that are no longer with me today, um, they they passed on from, from black lung, which was COPD. Um, RSD or Crips, 
CR chronic regional pain syndrome mm-hmm. is something completely different than COPD. So you know uh, a bunch of people uh, who had long-term effects after you know the towers came down, they went for the rescue and they were helping you know people out. This even affected like a lot of people you know after that? Yes. I, I got a friend that I worked with who was a lieutenant of mine. He still suffers from it today. Um, he can't walk 10 feet before he's out of breath. And it really gasping for air. Um, I got a great friend of mine who, you know, very close friend of mine was with the operator engineers union down there. Um, he was down there much longer than I was. Um, and he developed black lung after, after time. And he's now deceased. Um, it's, I don't think anybody knew what the consequences would be versus wearing a paper mask. I mean, because it wasn't like a non-rebreather. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a firefighter pack they gave you. You got a little paper mask. Um, you know, something that the guy who's probably sanding the sheetrock down your house right. is wearing to keep dust out of his lungs. How much of that is it really filtering of asbestos and every other contaminant that was that was in these you know in these walls? It it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one one thing that I'm super curious about, um, I'm not an overly skeptic person. I'm not one for conspiracy theories. Obviously, it's difficult to even mention 9-11, you know, without thinking about the debates and the theories that are out there. Um, you know, does that affect you at all? Or so, as someone who was down there, who saw the debris, who was helping out, you know, to see so many debates, um, you know, about things like the Pentagon crash or Tower 7 specifically. And um, I know the big theory around Tower 7 is how, how could that have fallen? Was it just because of fires or was it detonated from bombs in the inside? And, um, you know, ser- seeing the debates around these theories, um, you know, does does that make you... I guess, how does that make you feel knowing that so many people who, you know, weren't there are constantly debating these theories? Uh, and is there anything where you do wish there were more, you know, answers that you could get around certain things? No, to tell you the truth, I've gotten numb to a lot of those debates and, and wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen to them and wouldn't turn the news on. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've seen, I've seen firsthand and what I experienced, I, I experienced firsthand. Um, what the news reported um, wasn't even a fraction of what was really going on down there. And if I told you those news cameras were five, six, seven, eight blocks away using, you know, zoom lenses, which almost looked like they were right up on that pile, mm. they weren't even close. Um, so a lot of those debates I, I, I didn't listen to. Um, you know, everybody has a theory. Um, I could tell you that Tower 7 came down from fire because we had an interior attack on that. We had a kind of an offense-defense mode on, on uh, Tower 7. So it was, you know, all companies in to extinguish a fire. The air horns would blow three times to evacuate the building. Um, that went on three times before we, we were called out. A building came down. There was wow. no explosives that brought that building down. It, 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 it was just from the amount of rubble that was around it, um, the amount of heat. The jet fuel put off 
and that steel is only going to stand to a certain temperature before it warps and twists and and that's that's one of the biggest things because the towers were designed to take an impact from an airplane which they did do um where they failed was is the jet fuel that came down those elevator shafts burned hotter than the flame retardant material that they put on those steel i-beams so when that steel started to twist and warp that's how those buildings came down and it's probably one of the reasons why they pancaked down opposed to leaning over and falling hmm. yeah no that's uh yeah super interesting to hear that you know perspective from someone literally fighting the fire inside of the building and someone who's actually knowledgeable about fire too because i feel like a lot of people have you know these conspiracy theories and it's like you watched a youtube video and this is backed by like you know newspaper cli- newspaper clippings or whatever like this is someone who actually knows about fire so it's an inter- interesting uh, perspective that you know you're you're sort of uh sharing here but it does provide some insight to the situation as well yeah what, what a lot of people didn't understand or you know when when you're not I guess if you're not an architect or a fireman or a designer, um, you know, it's the 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 um, World Trade Centers were hollow core buildings. So the structure of the buildings were the four walls on the outside. The inside of those buildings were elevator shafts. So as that plane flew through the 88th floor on one building, that jet fuel came down the elevator shafts and burnt the people in the lobby. And everybody can't understand how did that happen. It happened because the core of that building was a straight shaft straight down to the lobby. And it was just the four walls on the outside, which was the supports. Hmm. It's, it's a, it was interesting the way it was built. It was designed to withstand a an airplane hit, which it did. Um, so it did what it was designed to do initially. Obviously, jet fuel burns a lot hotter than other accelerants. And when steel starts to warp and, you know, and it starts to bend and it starts to warp and it starts to become unsteady, is it's 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 going to come down. So how do you move on after 9-11? Um, you know, like, you have a family, um, you know, friends, like... You still have a life outside of being a firefighter, uh, you know, outside of being a firefighter who was there on 9-11. But experiencing such a tragedy firsthand, seeing the things that um, you saw, how do you move on from that and, you know, keep a keep a positive outlook and just kind of get get through the day to day? Well, I look at I look at our kids that are coming home from war. And I'm looking at them like I only seen a fraction of what these kids have seen. And if these kids can come home and and live some kind of normal life, it's it's something that you could get past. It's just something you could never forget. Hmm. It's it's you have to suppress it in the back of your you know in the back of your head. And there's certain things that will trigger it off at, at times, like. For instance, you walk into a doctor's office and there's a picture of New York City skyline. And what do you see in that skyline? The Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at New York City skyline, 
you no longer see that. So there are day-to-day things that do trigger flashbacks to that day. Um, but you have to learn how to get past it and, and move on and, you know, live a normal life. Have you visited the scene since? I can honestly say no, I have not visited the scene since. Do you plan on it at all or just not not something that you're interested in? Um, really not something I'm interested in. Um, I think it would bring back too many memories for me. Um, I don't think I would take to it real well. Um, maybe one day, but at, for as of right now, I'm, I'm, I'm not up to going down and visiting the memorial. Um, it's just not something I'm up to doing. Understandable, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 anything like that, anything like a traumatic thing could, would have effects on a, on a person. Um, also I'm kind of interested, you know, how long after, you know, nine eleven did you kind of feel like you're starting to get back into a norm normal rhythm? Because even for uh my father, he retired in ninety eight, his his life, like it was hard for him to even go back to normal. He wasn't he wasn't down there at all. Uh but a lot of he lost a lot of his friends and I know there was like a lasting effect for him even. Um and that that took like years, you know. So I'm kinda wondering from someone who was from who was on the scene, uh, how long does something like that kind of, you know, take to at, at least dissipate a little bit? Um, it, it, it takes quite some time. Um, you know, most things don't affect people right away. Post-traumatic stress disorder is not something that occurs like the next day. I mean, sometimes it won't bother you to, you know, months afterwards, if not, say, up to six months afterwards where it really sets in and is when you ponder and dwell on it. Um, but also everybody needs to know themselves and you need to know when to reach out for help, especially in the firefighter world, because we have the briefing teams and we have people you could talk to. Um, and a lot of these people have been through the same, you know, calls that we've been through. 9-11 is very unique um, as a call itself. Um, but it, it helps to get into a therapy and it helps to talk about it and it releases some of the anxiety and it, it's hard to say. I mean, I probably didn't get back into the swing of things for probably a good year afterwards. Mm-hmm. Are you still a firefighter currently or no? Uh, currently I, I was retired on uh, February 20th of 2010 because I, I suffered a left leg injury um, trying to get a rescue off the second floor. I'm currently 100% disabled. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that job, is it, is it, is it something that you're proud of, though, for, for doing? Um, not even just being there for 9-11, but, you know, just the service as a firefighter when you did work. Yes. It's, 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 it's a service I was proud of. Um, it, I rose my hand, you know, I, I swear to protect and serve the community. Um, I believe I did that. I had 19 and a half years of service in before I got disabled. Um, and I did save three, I had three rescues. 
I did I did save three people in 19 and a half years. So I made a difference to three families. And to me, that's a lot. That's a tremendous amount, I would say. And we said in the beginning of the show, before we even spoke to you, that, you know, it's it's an honor to speak uh, to someone like you. And even after this conversation, um, you know, I, we can say that even more confidently. Um, you know, there's just certain type of people that I think just transcend, um, you know, the, the way that like we, we live every day. And I think, you know, we, we live on very selfish terms a lot. And for you to, you know, put yourself first and, and in the line of duty and perform that service, uh, you know, it, it, it truly, truly is an honor to even have this conversation with you. Yeah. And as someone who comes from a, a family of, uh, some, some people who worked on the job, I, I really do have like a deep appreciation for it. And I know that even if someone has zero rescues, but they did, you know, years on the job, like you are still going out there every single day with the intent on saving lives and making a difference. And that in itself is enough, uh, for me to call somebody a hero. So thank you uh, so much for your service. And like, like I said, I mean, at the beginning of this, I was like, you know, I can't wait to talk to this guy because, I mean, you hear stories about people who are down there, but there's always one, that one degree of separation. So to talk to you tere- directly, um, you know, is uh, is an honor for me. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, thank you for shedding light on that. And I know, you know, it, it can't be easy to talk about these things. And, you know, this show only exists, you know, because of people like you who are, I think, willing to have hard conversations like these. So we can't thank you enough. Um, you know, I think this is going to be interesting to, you know, a lot of people. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. All right. Have a good rest of the night. You too. Thank you very much. Before we get to our final thoughts, let's get to our next sponsor. Our next sponsor is Audible, and Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Uh, Audible keeps you informed, inspired, entertained. They have a convenient Audible app as well so you can listen to audiobooks anytime anywhere on any device listen at the gym while shopping in the car while traveling um totally up to you it makes listening to audiobooks super easy uh and audible members will get more than ever so every month you can choose one audiobook regardless of the price you get two audible originals Uh, You can easily exchange any title that you don't love at any time, and you keep your library of audiobooks forever. So these are yours to listen to again, Uh, and you get to start a 30-day trial uh, where you choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. I've been really getting into Audible on the treadmill because I'm trying to become a runner. (laughs) So I got a recommendation, but I'm listening to... uh, David Goggins can't hurt me, which is one of the most intense books. But if anyone out there, I mean, I, I suggest, you know, listening to, to this audiobook because it's an amazing way to get like information is to, you know, just listen to it. Uh, but it's, it's even better listening to that book, uh, that audiobook specifically on the treadmill because you have this guy who's a very motivational dude. Oh, super a, inspirational story. Crazy story. And it just keeps you like running, you know? So I got a recommendation to do that. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I got my aud- uh, my Audible, so I'm going I'm to use it on that. So guys, definitely go check that out. Um, also, you can start listening with a 30-day uh, Audible trial. Just choose one audiobook and two Audible originals, absolutely free. All you got to do is visit audible.com slash OPL or text OPL to 500-500. Again, 
you visit audible.com slash OPL or text OPL to 500-500. Our next sponsor is Rothy's. Uh, Rothy's is an amazing company making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles. Uh, I'm not kidding. These shoes are made out of recycled plastic water bottles. I didn't even know that was possible. It's possible. And they're crazy comfortable. They're fully machine washable. Um, We can say from experience, my fiance, Joe's girlfriend, they each got a pair. Uh, They won't stop talking about these shoes. Wear them everywhere. Um, They said that they're super comfortable, that they are able to wear them from being casual to going out, dressing up. Yeah, and it makes you feel like Captain Planet too because, I mean, it will blow your mind that they're made from repurposed plastic water bottles. In fact, uh, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills That's already. That's insane. Which is, you know, when you think about it, you throw garbage out, it goes somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. So now they're taking that and creating shoes out of it, which is not only helping the environment, but also making you look cool because they also come in ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. They're available in a range of... Styles like sneakers, loafers, points. I don't even know what a point is, but they got... I'm sure they're pointy. I'm sure they're pointy, for sh- for sure. Um, they oper- they own and operate their own manufacturing workshop uh, where they prioritize sustainability every step of the way. Um, so you can always count on that. And uh, you can go to Rothy's right now and check out all the styles at rothys.com slash OPL. Uh, Rothy's spelled R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash OPL to get your new favorite flats. Uh, comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Um, head to rothys.com slash OPL today. All right. Now that we've done our sponsors, uh, man, that was, that exceeded expectations that I had. And it's, man, it's like, I'm, I'm so like emotional over it because it's like, like I said, my, my dad like was a fireman. I would go to the firehouse all the time. I would see these dudes. I would be in that environment and you would you know like the kind of people these guys are. Like they're good dudes and they're like just it, they're selfless. And and it's it's one of those jobs that like people know like oh yeah, they're they're putting their lives on the line and they're, you know, whatever. But you really got to think about that mentality. You know, like the military, the police uh and EMS, the FDNY, or, you know, all these jobs. Um, These people are putting, like, waking up every day and putting themselves in situations where they could, they could, it could all be over for them. You know what I mean? And, And for someone to go through what this guy went through, you know, like, you go down there and you experience this whole thing and, you know, he suffered, you know, the kidney failure afterwards. And, and and then he was back on the job and then he got 100% disabled. It's like it's like these people are just superheroes. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just it's I have no words for this shit. It makes me feel just like there's so much like it's just it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so easy to get comfortable knowing that there's there's people out there doing the hard jobs, the jobs that you know a lot of us wouldn't do or wouldn't be able to do. Um, so it's easy. It's easy to get comfortable and just say like, yeah, there's responders out there. There's firefighters, there's policemen. But, um, you know, I think when you really hear a story like that, it's just, uh, it's just one of the most admirable things out there. Like, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just a different level of, I think, 
bravery and selflessness and thank goodness there's people out there who who have that calling um yeah because it, it makes so much a, it makes such a difference it's wild to me and uh yeah i mean everything around 9-11 i mean just i think the unity that he spoke about um you know he wasn't even a new york city firefighter and you know he's there putting his life on his line beyond just his community beyond just the you know town or or area that he um you know like he said kind of swore to protect uh and just going above and beyond but you know i think the the bravery shows i think there's there's bravery in the line of duty which he clearly did for for 19 years and is now disabled because of his job because of putting his body on the line and literally saving lives and you know there's there's bravery in in what he just did in just telling that story and to to conjure up that imagery um to relive some of those moments uh we we can't take for granted i think how lucky we are to hear someone share you know that story and and go to that place again to to be able to share those moments with us um that that's true bravery as well yeah it's like it's just wild man it's just crazy like to like I try so hard. Like you see so many videos and you're like, look at this fucking place, man. Like you you look at ground zero and what that looks like. It's like, this looks fake. And like people were down there. And like you said, we found no survivors. We found body parts. We slept in fucking hallways for two weeks. Like who is doing this? You know what I'm saying? Like it blows my mind all the time. I'm like, thank God there are people who are just wired very differently than everyone else and just are willing to just do that and make it their life's mission it's i i just it makes you think of the 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 things that you consider inconveniences in your life too i have to work late tonight yeah the subway is not running my uber's late and it's like those people for him i mean his life completely changed for two weeks yeah and like guys you got like people who aren't from new york like you you got to understand like Everyone knows someone who is affected by this. Like, whether there's one degree of separation, like, or, or what. But everyone knows something. And it's just, it's, it just, I don't know. As the kids say, it hits different when it comes to 9-11 and you're from New York. Uh, and, and you think about all the families that were affected by people who passed away. All the firemen, all the policemen. And then think about all the people that were affected who survived. You know, who who weren't even there when it happened, like that came for the rescue like this man. And he knows people who have passed away even after that because of this tragedy. Years later, they pass away or, you know, all these families that have to deal with these deaths and all the firemen and all the policemen that all of their friends died. Like, it's just it's it's just it's just wild. And then to put all that aside and then just be able to talk about it to us, to, to give us some insight like it, that really means a lot, you know? And like you said, it's just fucking, it's brave. And I'm, you know, that was, it was crazy. Yeah. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> no, this is just like, said a lot, but yeah. it's, uh, no, truly an, an honor to speak to him. And it's just, um, you know, you, you guys are all amazing in this community. I know we're talking about selflessness. I'm going to get a little selfish right now. I know we say it a lot. I know we're not supposed to talk about our own show, but it's just, this moment you know to to live in this moment to to have just spoken to someone like that to hear that perspective um you know man we're lucky 
and it's it's all because of you guys um it's because of the guests who are brave enough to come on and and share these stories no matter what it is um wow i just i'm speechless so thank thank you everyone who who makes this possible yeah and guys if you have anything that uh you think will make for a good episode definitely don't hesitate to hit us up go to oplshow.com slash contact fill out the form send us an email and uh yeah we'll schedule something out if it works yep check us out on instagram at opl podcast uh we do video clips now of each episode and uh leave a rating and a review on itunes it goes a long way it helps the show and uh tell a friend about it let's let's keep growing this so thank you guys yep and that is all we'll see you guys next time